That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Diagra Moon Losing my opinion Are we veterans of the podcasting game now? Like how many episodes do we need to do before we can call ourselves like veteran podcasters. Do we need another year under our belts before we can say that? I mean, if this podcast uh, has shown anything, we can say whatever we want. When are we supposed to feel completely comfortable doing it? When does that part? Well, this is- Is that started uh, for you? Is this a we question or more of a the question? Like I want your perspective. Do you feel like, I mean, you, you've been doing this for much longer than me in your yeah. previous iterations of podcasting. You know what it is, is when we have a guest on and we got to be in our best behavior. True. You know, because otherwise it's just hanging out with the guys. So. Hanging with the boys, with the Z. Yeah. So there, there's different, you know, each episode, it's kind of a different atmosphere, different flavor, maybe. Mm-hmm. Has this been on your mind recently? Oh, I don't know. I, I still, I, whenever we hit record, I'm always like, wait, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, that's not going to go away. It's every, <laughs> it's literally every episode. But I guess that's how I am with every facet of my life. Like I walk on stage with an instrument, stand in front of the mic. And right before I start, I go, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. And there's that like nanosecond of like, I, I do not, what am I doing up here? When I used to teach, same thing. So right before class started, it'd just be like, it's natural. Hey, what am I doing? Yeah, you want yeah. a little anxiety in there, a little stage fright, keep you sharp. What about the nausea all the way through the episode? Is yeah, that, I did notice the, uh, the paper bag you had sitting next to you. The bucket. I was on what was going the, on there. <laughs> Your lucky bag. It's my lucky bag. Your not-so-lucky bag. My lucky, <laughs> lucky bag. Your yucky bag. Yeah. Speaking of yucky bags. Spe- definitely speaking of yucky bags. Uh-huh. I'm probably the only person I've ever met who's used those bags that they have on the airplane. Oh, Thomas. Couple just during the landing, just a couple times. <laughs> I've taken many flights, but yeah. Just during the landing, wow! And then you have to sit there with you everybody else for like fifteen yeah. minutes. You're kind of responsible. And they're for just it. like, "Man, why'd you do this to us?" Wow! You, if you come back from that, dignity-wise, you can come back from anything. I've gotten very quiet at it. I like to think <laughs> he's a quiet vomiter, if nothing else, Thomas. You know, that's the way he's known us. He's just a quiet vomiter. Where, where are we going well, speaking with this? Of quiet yeah. vomiting, <laughs> speaking of quiet vomiting, the listener is probably doing that right now. What what show is this? What are they listening oh, to? Oh, yeah. Well, this is indubitably Losing My Opinion. Losing My Lunch. Yeah. I am summer evening bike riding indie Baroque pop artist Niagara Moon, a.k.a. Thomas Irwin. Uh, I am not knowing how to ride a bike indie musician Thin Lear, a.k.a. Matt Longo. We don't have to get into this. I don't want it to be a whole segment of me not... I, I do not know how to ride okay. a bike. I never learned. You are from Long Island. I guess they're anti-bikes over there. I'm from Long Island. No, no, they're not. They're fine with bikes. It's just... Don't share the road. Maybe there's a little of that. But um, no, I just, I just never learned. And maybe, just maybe, it encouraged my music listening mm-hmm. because I had so much more time to be inside with my records. We're going to talk about a musician today who, at least in the U.S., does not get enough love, especially considering the massive influence that he has uh, over some of our favorite artists that we talk about all the time on this podcast. Mm. Bowie, chief among them. Uh, You hear him in the New York Dolls. You hear him in the Smiths. Even a newer band like My Chemical Romance, one of your favorites from our emo episode. Uh, They are big and boisterous. 
But, and this is my argument, because I, I do have an actual argument today. I know we sometimes forget about that. There's an intense melancholy, like a loneliness that drives this music. For me, that's an essential part of glam. We have not covered much glam on this podcast. Just a smidge here and there, yeah. Touches, yeah. A little glam, Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack here and there. That's the closest that we've come, and that's been like... That is glam, but it, but it's also like a um, a representation of it as opposed to like, this is a glam record sure. or whatever. Um, for me, glam is not just party music. There's like a, a hysterical melodrama in there mm. that's, that's motivated by alienation and is supposed to hurt and be fun at the same time. Like, that's glam. Uh, I would argue that there is nothing more glam than the artist that we're talking about today. He is glam. We're talking about Mark Boland, everybody. Come on. Yeah. Uh, how have we not done a T-Rex episode T-Rex. yet? T-Rex. How, how do you feel about T-Rex? I, I knew in the back of my mind that you were a fan, but I didn't know how much and or why. Sure. I know Electric Warrior. Okay. Love that album. I know there's other ones people like. I think I've seen a few of the album covers on T-shirts, but I don't know. Just never heard it. And I know he kind of like spiraled out. Mm-hmm. He died in a car crash or something like in the late 70s. Yes. But before that, yeah. his, his career was kind of tanking. He did like a Ziggy and Stardust ripoff album. I don't know. Like he just kind of fell on hard times. So I don't know like how long his like peak period was, but uh, I'm definitely curious. He was all over the place creatively. Uh, and I and I felt as if that might be the case. I was thinking that probably the majority of our listeners are only into Electric Warrior uh, which is one of the best records ever. So it's like, you know, Immaculate. It's yeah. fine if that's the only one you're into. Uh, so I tried to choose songs today around that record. My argument today, to start to start with that, is about the sadness that's inherent at the heart of Glam. Mm. And it's the thing that makes it special. It's the reason it keeps going on. It, it, it pops up in places like Emo and all kinds of stuff. And it's one of the things that makes T-Rex so special is that they they do it well. Uh, I'm going to highlight songs today that boogie and also dig at the teenage soul inside each of us. There's alienation in this groove. It's the same magic that Bowie captured. Like, it's the same stuff on, you know, Ziggy Stardust and, you know, uh, obviously Aladdin Sane. But Bolin arrived at the sound first. And I don't want to turn this into a T-Rex retrospective because it's like we... I didn't do the research to bring us Mm -hmm. to that point. But for my money, he's got two classic records. One is obviously Electric Warrior. Uh, the other is the slider, and that's probably the one that you've seen on T-shirts. It's him with like that, you know, big kind of big top hat, hat, black yeah. and white, right? Exactly. Another killer record. That record is unimpeachable. Uh, and then there's another one that I would say is not necessarily at that level, but also fantastic. And I'm probably going to get some heat from somebody for it. It's his his last record called Dandy in the Underworld, hmm. uh, which is a great and mysterious record that really points to the future of guitar music in kind of a supernatural way. But he's one of those guys where on every album, he's got a smattering of great songs. Like, it's never an issue for him. It's the consistency. And as you said, yeah, there was a period um, after uh, Electric Warrior and The Slider where he, he kind of, like, lost it a little bit. One of the most fantastic guitarists I've ever heard. Like, ferocious combination of rhythm and lead. It's indistinguishable. You know, there are those guitarists who are just doing both. Uh, great production from Tony Visconti. Oh, the especially best. on those classics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a great chug. In his playing. Oh, that's, and that's a great word for not, it. Yeah. Not chunk, but chug. Oh, God, don't bring us back there. They, if, if, have you ever heard of 
Uh, the, you ever heard the early records that, that go by Tyrannosaurus Rex? Like I said, I know Electric Warrior and that's it. I'm, right. I'm open to more, but that's where I'm coming from here. I'm not going to play any of those today because it's a separate thing. It's like an incredible string band situation. Like they started out as like a dance around the Maypole style band, this folky psychedelic sound that like Devendra Banhart totally loves. Oh. Um, still interesting because it's Mark Boland, but like for me, nowhere near the dizzying heights he achieved creatively after that point. It's a lot of songs that could have been on the Wicker Man, <laughs> like pretty easily. I'm down for that. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what song I'm going to avoid today. Cause you probably have what song in mind. If you're thinking T-Rex, melancholy, glam. Get it gone uh, with your mom. I don't see that song as being sad. That's an amazing song, but the song I'm not going to play today is Cosmic Dancer. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That one's got, Tinge of melancholy to it. It so perfectly encapsulates my argument. It's intensely moving. It makes me sad and lonely when I hear it. There's like a nostalgia. It's like an old friend, right? He was dancing when I was 12. Yeah, it's great. He danced himself right out the, the womb, into the tomb. Uh, it, it's, it's a song that actually motivated my argument today, but everybody knows it, so I'm going to stay away Everybody from it. knows it. You hear that, everybody listener? You it. know it already. You know it. You love uh, it. You know it. You love it. I'm going to try to focus on songs that are like maybe not as well known. Uh, I want to start with a song called Teenage Dream. And I'm pretty sure you haven't heard this before. (laughs) Definitely. If you like Rocky Horror Picture Show, my God, (laughs) will you love this song? This is like right in that wheelhouse. This is one of my favorite T-Rex songs. An unhinged vocal like only he can do. Uh, And it's just a tune that sounds like a shattered belief system. Like it's one of those one of those kinds of songs that I'm that I'm trying to highlight here. Did Katy Perry cover this song? Uh, no. That's a good guess, though. That would be great. I would love to hear that. Would you? Uh, maybe. There's there's actually, that's, that's an interesting point that you bring up. So there's a compilation that came out a few years back called Angel-Headed Hipster that BMG put out that features all these amazing versions of his songs with stuff from like Nick Cave, uh, Father John Misty, people that you would typically think of oh. as, as being into his music, Devendra Banhart. Sure. Um, but there's a, there's a version of Children of the Revolution from Kesha that's oh. actually fantastic. Like, she sings her ass off on it. Like, it's, it's she, great. She's got multitudes, Kesha. Uh, yeah. I mean, plays some of her weirder stuff. Yeah, she's not all just brush your teeth with the bottle, Jack. <laughs> I, I'm not like, you know, I know some of her big singles, but I, I don't know much about her music. But, like, I, I was quirky. kind of blown away by her vocals on that track. Oh, this is uh, from the album... So I pulled this up here, Teenage Dream. Zinc Alloy and the Hidden Riders of Tomorrow. That's the, there you go. the one everybody made fun of for sounding like Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great great album title. Yeah. You always want to have at least seven to eight words in an album title. All right, here. Oh, it's kind of a longer one, almost six minutes. We starting from the top? Yeah, yeah I'll start from the top. I think you'll, you'll get an idea of what's going on here pretty quickly. It's just... Uh, it's fun. He looks like uh, Frankenfurter, Tim Curry, yep. this album cover here. Yeah, he really does. This song is chunky. Oh, God. I like it so far. Oh, 
This is awesome. The heat's on, mister. Can't you hear them scream? That effect on his vocal is something else. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's like bleak, but it's it's like glamorously bleak. It's second half of Rocky Horror vibes all the way. Don't dream it, be it. Like that's the vibe. Little nails about to come in. He, he always makes the alienation sound exhilarating. And that's that's what it is when you're a teenager, right? Like, I hear this and I it feel like It sounds like being 15, 15. <laughs> yeah. to me, yeah. Yeah. And it's like there's a ton going on in the arrangement, but it's it's all part of the fun. <laughs> the strings are nuts, yeah. That's good shit. Yeah. We're starting strong there's here. A- it's a kinship I feel with other people who found these tunes when they were like 14, 15, because it just understood us. It understood the drama. It's, it's, I know glam is, is people think of very um, uh, outgoing people when they think of the glam genre. I would argue that glam is like a place where introverted people can find their identity, become extroverts in a costume. Yeah. There's a funny John Stewart quote where he was talking about uh, Bruce Springsteen and why he's great. And it's like, when I listened to Bruce Springsteen in my car, I wasn't a loser in like a Dodge Dart. I was uh, a character in an epic poem yeah. about losers. And, you know, like it's, 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 it's a great point. And that's kind of what's, it's, it's allowed us to live the epic poetry of teenage sadness listening to this kind of thing. I'm surprised um, I never dug further because I always liked Electric Warrior. I love the Rocky Horror soundtrack. This is like right in the middle of that Venn diagram. I don't know why this, this passed me by. Seems like you dig it. Let's let's. I want to I want to challenge you a little bit now. Right. I want to go to the song "Dandy in the Underworld," which is the uh, the title track off of his last record. Which is I wouldn't say it's like controversial. I mean, some people love it. Some people, you know, aren't super impressed by it. I don't know if anybody hates this record, but uh, it's it's a whole album that sounds like slow dancing in hell. Like it's it's an album of of excess and. Um, this tune in particular was inspired by the character Orpheus from Greek mythology. He's heading down to Hades. Uh, but really, I feel like this is Mark Bolin talking about himself. And uh, it's just like excess and detachment from who he is and wondering how the hell you ended up where you are. Mm. But you look fantastic. And uh, that's glam. You know, like this is glam in a nutshell. Like you, you feel like hell and you look amazing. 1977. Yeah, this is uh, yeah, this was quite it. a ways away from from his commercial peak. Yes. And I feel like he was kind of coming back. This album cover is cool. I, I was expecting cool something really like obnoxiously colorful and crowded. This is like, this is intriguing. This is like an A24 movie poster. <laughs> yes. Yes. And his guitar tone on this record. I love it. I love it. I know some people have some issues with it, but like, it's just so cool. Yeah. It's like a steroided version of what he did on Electric Warrior. All right. Let's check it out. A 
bass is so cool. <laughs> this is good. That 70s synth is taking no prisoners. MGMT ripped this guy off wholesale. <laughs> you hear a lot here, right? I, I hear My Chemical Romance. I hear MGMT. I hear New York Dolls. Yeah, he's like pleasantly surprising me in the same way that Alice Cooper always disappoints me. Right? Yeah. And, you know, it's another one. It's, it's uh, Funky Misery. Yeah, that's a good one too. It's that he he always did that like he loved Eddie Cochran, he loved like early rock and roll music and he was just like constantly bringing that sound to whatever style he was doing. And he he was really he adhered to that early rock and roll yeah. sound. You know, you hear it in songs like Jeepster or whatever, it's like this is just a straight up rock and roll song, but it's cool because of the the style and his swagger. The sound. And, yeah. Even even the Sex Pistols love this guy. Like it was just he kind of they won better. over everybody. Um, let's listen to another song. I don't think you've heard uh, today. Uh, it's called "Children of the Revolution." Have you heard that song? I have not. I think you'll dig this one. This was the song that Kesha did a real uh, fantastic job of in that compilation. the slap back on that snare guess who's guess whose snare that is that's Ringo Ringo Ringo's playing yeah, alright Elton John on piano really yeah. oh here's the piano but yeah. he should be more than just electric warrior that's what I'm seeing here yeah It's just killer. It's killer music that has that alienation flowing through it. It's a very Tim Burton vibe, like early Tim Burton in these songs. That was what I had for the sad stuff. But I kind of want to play one more song for you because I only if you haven't heard it. If not, we can just cut this part. Have you heard the song uh, 20th Century Boy? Nope. All right, well, we just got to listen to that. We're doing a T-Rex episode. I, I mean, it's, it's uncool for me to say that that's one of my favorite 
T-Rex songs because it's like such a huge, <laughs> massive single. Uh, that song we just listened to, by the way, Children of the Revolution, is from 72. So he was still kind of in the, in the zone yeah. uh, creatively. This song um, is also a single, 20th Century Boy. Um, I, you hear it in movies all the time. I think, well, you know, you, you'll probably be like, oh, I know this, but... Might recognize it. Yeah, it's it's so great. It's it's. I think it's a uh, top five glam rock songs. Oof. Easily top five. What album is it from? Uh, it's just a single. I think they played it in the Truman Show. Oh, okay. So I might recognize it from uh, that. So you might know it from that. It's from 1973. All right. Uh, it's just, it's in a million movie trailers. Because it's so immediate. Like the, the, the kick-assery of it is so instant. songs sound like they were written in 15 minutes in a good way. The momentum, the momentum of this music is exceptional. So what was this guy's not good stuff? Because even though you show me stuff from later albums, like it's all kicking ass. Like what, what were his, his follies? I mean, like I said, Electric Warrior, Slider, Danny in the Underworld, like those records are, I feel great from top to bottom to varying degrees. Uh, there are you know, I think like four records or something like that in between uh... Slider, Danny in the Underworld where it's it's not yeah we didn't listen you know, he, to those he, he tries uh <laughs> we hadn't listened to all those, those other four albums today he, he tries to do different things like he was for a guy who was fixated on that particular style of rock and roll music like he really took it to a million different places like did disco type stuff it was oh like i don't i don't want to hear that was more soul inflected but the, but for every one of those um dalliances there's a smattering of great songs that just really work hmm. and then others that don't. Um, and I think even the, the most rabid T-Rex fan will, will tell you that like that period of like 74 ish to 76 is like not so as he, good. He was just putting too much out. Uh, he was, he was prolific. You know, he just, he kept doing not his enough QC. thing. Yeah. And he also just, he followed the vision and I think he's not, he came out, T-Rex has some of the greatest singles of the 70s. Uh, so he has stuff that's really immediate. And then I think he just followed his muse and that was it. I think there was like a, a really healthy and, and kind of bizarre rivalry between him and Bowie, mainly from Boland's side, I think for obvious reasons. I, I know Bowie tried to like help revive his career. There was He was on main man management, which was like Bowie's uh, 
Bowie's company and uh, Bowie took Boland's death really hard. Mm. Like any any Bowie biography you read, like it's it's it really hit him in the gut. They had this oddly in, intense friendship, and I think Bowie really looked up to him because obviously Boland, you know, Boland was doing that glam, that Ziggy Stardust glam in '71. Yeah, and he was when, a superstar in in Britain at that time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it just crushed him when Boland died. Um, I think he saw himself and found himself in Boland's music. And that's why he was so good at replicating that sound, as he always well, was. Because he had Bowie. Mark Ronson, Mick, Mick Ronson, <laughs> yeah. Mick Ronson, yeah. Um, but it's just that that sound of a tragic party, like that comes from Mark Boland. That's mm. that's Mark Boland's, and you know, other people they sometimes do it better, sometimes do it worse. You know, Bowie, you could say that there are times where he eclipses it, times where he doesn't. But like the tragic party comes from Mark Boland. It comes from T Rex, and and I would still argue. The, the finest glam is tinged with heartache. Mm. And, and Mark Bowen never says it outright. He's never talking about, oh, I'm sad or whatever. It's just, you, you feel the heaviness yeah. in the music. He's got a, a sad face. He's got a sad face. He's, he's got a, a heavy expression, yeah. But yeah. Uh, a lot of great tunes here. I'm, I'm going to dig into his discography in earnest. I think you'd love it. I'll, I'll I chug think... through the, the crap and get to the gold because it seems like there's a lot of it. <laughs> It's so worth it, and I would say start start with the slider because that's that's the easiest way in. I think it's it's kind of in a way a lot of, an extension of a it's it's the revolver to the rubber sole of Electric Warrior. I think it's kind of the part two, and then uh, I would dig into Danny in the Underworld because it's mm. just such an enjoyable, unique sound. And then the other records, there's like you know three or four other records that are just worth zinc hearing. alloy. I'll check that one. Yeah, out zinc too. alloy. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Oh, so Thomas, what are you <laughs> listening to this week? Listen, my opinion. Yes, sir. Well, I don't want to delay too too much here. I'll, I'll get right into it. I am asking myself, what makes for a good introduction? Why do I do this podcast? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, introduction. Introduction. Okay. What makes for a good introduction to a song? When can you really push it and have like a really long introduction? And and when does that kind of fall flat? And, you know, every, the, the song length gets bloated and it's a bad idea. You know, it can go either way. When is it really worth it to hold that tension, to really meander for a little while, you know, to get the instruments all coming in? Finally, you know, maybe a minute and a half later, almost two minutes later, the vocals come in. When does that work out? When is it ill-advised? Mm. So I, I cherry-picked a selection of songs today. I have my own opinion about which intros work and which ones maybe could have been uh, abridged. I'm curious to get your thoughts as well, but that's what I'm talking about today. It's funny, we were just talking about Bowie. One of my favorite intros ever, you might be talking about it, maybe you're not, is uh, Station to Station. Well, I'll make a qualification. That's like six minutes long or there, something. There's song introductions, and then, so part of what I'm doing here also is I'm not looking at the progressive rock groups, because uh, okay. I feel like there's a difference between just, this is a very long song that has many different chapters of the suite, versus this could otherwise be considered like a conventional pop song, just with a lot of buildup, if, if you know the difference. Like, Station to Station is not written as a conventional song no. it doesn't have conventional structure yeah. so i'm talking about songs that have that it's concise in that way it's not going to suddenly halfway through go to this crazy other part like i'm not looking at a yes or a pink so we're floyd not situation to king crimson's red today no we're, we're not, not we're not doing the pink floyd yes uh king crimson genesis thing 
Oh, because I mean, yeah, yes, uh, roundabout. That that's a great mm, intro. That's, a, that's an intro. But I I consider that yeah, it's that's that's like s- several songs in one to me. I mean, the, the lines we're drawing here are pretty arbitrary, but I think you get what I'm saying. Like, yes's intros are like even better than the songs themselves. Often, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have a smattering of tunes here. We're gonna start with an album that uh, I believe to be one of your favorites. When I came over to your house, you had a, a vinyl prominently displayed of this uh, this record here called Avalon by Roxy Music. Oh, God, I love this album. I, every time I, <laughs> I have a list of podcast ideas uh, and I, I always look at it, it's like a folder I have on Gmail. And like, there's one that just says like Avalon question mark. And it's just been there since we started the podcast. I just have no idea how to, talk about it other than like oh avalon's a great record it is love it very much is brian ferry super suave oh yeah what song what song's intro i mean there's a lot of great intros on that record yeah so one thing i noticed about avalon it's a great album but it's very short it's all i mean it's you could say it's all killer and no filler but it's like yes it's a very short track length like there's two you know like mini instrumentals yeah, are, are on there so it's like they had a great sound but you kind of feel like they wrung out all they had onto it they did what they needed to do with that version of the band yeah, yeah. the song Take a Chance With Me we're going to hear that now mm. uh, I'm going to play it for, for you and the, the folks at home it's a very long intro I mean I'll take it I'll, I'll take whatever I can get from this awesome album but I'm like did the intro need to be this long couldn't we just get into the groove but we'll, we'll listen to it now you can give me your thoughts It does sound like the opening of Boys of Summer. listen to this album is this like a favorite moment for you or you know what i mean no no uh i like it i think it yeah it's tough because you listen to it as a solo song you could say this drags but In the context of the record, I think it works really nicely. That part's where it's at, though. That's hot, yeah. (laughs) Bass. As they said, you can play. Yeah, no, Alright, so you got you got a song like this that's hidden behind a minute of a little bit of excess. You can do what you want in that minute. You can I mean, forgive it, yeah. It's a little bit long. I, I think that kind of thing, you know, you mentioned the two instrumentals on the record. I think there's like a um meandering sleaze 
that they yeah. managed to fit into the context of a 30 minute record or however they long do. this thing is. But it like, is a vibe. Once you like play the whole thing start to finish, it does flow. It, it, I think it works when you're listening to the whole thing. And and you know, if it's like you're treating it like a vinyl as opposed to like a Spotify track. But it, it does, you know, I, I had that argument, but you know, listening to it now, like when the song kicks in, it does make that opening feel worth it. Yeah. I can see that. So um there's a lot of good intros on that record too. So maybe they were just like, let's keep let's keep it rolling. The boys. main thing. Ah, oh, so funky. Yeah. I'm all about the main thing. There was there's a Brian Ferry cover of um Positively Four Street on a Dylan compilation. And I was I was reading some uh review of it that was they didn't like it. They didn't like Ferry's version and they were saying it sounded like um Ferry was mad at his butler for forgetting his <laughs> ascot. <laughs> That's good stuff. That's Dylan esque, right? I'll have to check that out. That is Dylan esque, yeah. Man. So I think, yeah, I think we, we, we pegged it there. It's like, if you're just going to listen to that song, it feels a little extra, but in the context of the album, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some ambivalence there. This next example, I like the song overall. I think it's a pretty good song. I think it's a fan-fucking-tastic guitar riff. I think the intro is totally unnecessary excess, but uh, you might agree with me, too. We're going to listen to a little band called Dire Straits, uh, Money for Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. Jeez. That, that that's tough. That's that's a tough one. You know, I'm in the car, I'm driving, this comes on. I like Dire Straits <sighs> overall, especially like the first album. Um I'm all for Sultan's a swing. I know some people work at the deli too long and get tired of that one. No, but. no. I do I don't get tired of Dire Straits. I I tell you I saw Mark Knopfler open for Dylan in two thousand four. Oh wow. Or around that maybe a little bit later. And uh, he came out, people were cheering for like, play songs to swing, play money for nothing. He wasn't playing any of that. It was playing his new record, which was like really like uh, Celtic rock kind of sound. And uh, he stopped like midway through. It was like, I hear you called it for the hits. <laughs> we ain't going to play them. Uh, but then he did play um, so far away from me that, that too. I and love that song. Maybe Walk of life or something else towards the end. So he was like, he, he relented, but it was very funny. My memory of Mark Knopfler. That's a pretty good Knopfler impression. Yeah, he's he's a curmudgeon, <laughs> but like, dude's an amazing guitar player. I love watching him play with that thumb, thumb and pointer finger style. But yeah, I, I know what you're talking about because there it, it does go on. You know, you have that like slapback drum. So thing. '80s machismo too. Like at least the what we just heard with Roxy music, it's kind of mysterious, svelte. This mm-hmm. is like, look at all the sounds we got. Yeah, let's let's just let's play it. We'll let let it speak for itself. Also, Sting. You are not a fan of Sting. I like the Police a lot. But here he's just doing uh, Don't Stand So Close to Me. Just that melody. Fair. That's fair. But again, like when the riff comes in, you're like, oh, right. I think you could just skip to the riff though, maybe. I mean, let's see. But it's it's that you said yourself, tension, right? It's that you get the release of the sweet riff. But with that argument, any song with a great riff could have a minute and a half intro then. 
You're not getting a little sleepy by this point? Oh, I was just always sleepy, so that's not a good barometer, but... Fair enough. It is going on longer than I remember. Drums haven't even come in yet. Oh, there we go. Oh, there it is. <laughs> This part's good, though. Nah, I mean, that's amazing. So worth it, you're saying? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, without a doubt. Is this like a top 10 all-time electric guitar riff? It's up there. It might be. Look at them yo-yos. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the Cut that song before we... Yeah, run into a the, little unfortunate. The, the sticky later bits on. of uh, yeah. Doffler's career, but that yeah, that's uh, that riff's awesome. I, mean, I, I I feel similarly to the way I did the first time around, where it's like I feel like you're picking songs where the payload is quite high. So like it yeah, it, it not only does it justify it, but it uh, kind of necessitates the drawn out thing because it's like so so I, I have a great example of this. If you listen to let's, the song Rebel Rebel, yeah, right on Bowie's um, Diamond Dogs on the record itself, there's that like. Uh, that song that comes before it, um, I forget the name of it, jeez. I'm not a Diamond Dogs Bowie fan. Bowie fans, I love Diamond Dogs, but I, for some reason I'm forgetting the name of it. But there's a song that comes before it that's like, it, it kind of goes on this like long tangent yeah. and it's spiraling out of control. But I now that I know that that exists, like I almost feel like I need to hear that before I hear that awesome riff. Oh. And it makes it that much better. Like the delayed mm. gratification, I think, is what's being built into these two songs that have great riffs. If you play me a song that doesn't have a sick riff at the end of the long intro, maybe then, I'm going to feel then you're, yeah, yeah, you should be ashamed of yourself. Now, I was thinking yeah. Rebel Rebel, and I listened to it where it just starts with Mick Ronson, and that's the way I like it. But interesting. Uh, he's not on that record. Isn't he? No, he's so... on a, He's on like a couple songs. That is like when they kind of shoved him out. Really? Nah, he's not on it at all? He's gone. Hold no, up, because that is such a hymn riff. That's such a hymn sound, that song. Who's, who I'm plays sure on Rebel Rebel? I'm sure still felt. I believe it is Bowie. Get the I think fuck Bowie plays most of, the, most of the guitar on that record. He might, he might not play on that song. I don't think he plays on that song, but it's, it's not... It's not, um, it's it's not, not Ronson? Ronson? Jesus, who's playing the Rebel Rebel theme? It is Alan Parker. Oh, God. Oh, well... Shut the podcast I, well, off. I'm going home. I, but I, you know what? I, I kind of feel like he, he might have played it. Anyone who is like a huge Bowie fan yeah. is going to just kill us. Unsubscribe. Yeah. Moving on. I'm not talking about <laughs> Bowie. That wasn't on my list. Okay, guys. Uh, okay. I'm going to now talk about a song. This is a fucking no-brainer, awesome intro. I love how the song builds up. It's by a band that... I have a weird relationship with this band. It's like I do not want to identify as a fan of theirs. Other bands that have this band as their prime influence, I'm like, no, thanks. But then I have definitely listened to like all their albums and certain songs a lot and have strong admiration for many of their qualities. Uh, it's a band that has not been brought up at all in this podcast, and I'm starting to be wow. like, what's going on there? Because we're talking okay. about Led Zeppelin. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I love Led Zeppelin. It's just you're from New Jersey and you go to the gym, so I yeah, imagine no, you're fine. a huge Led Zeppelin guy. Jeez, I, I wish they played Led Zeppelin at the gym. Uh, yeah, no, the, uh, uh, they're great. They're amazing. It's just I do not like Robert Plant. I don't know how you feel. Oh no, I like it. it's it's fun. You know, he does his Hobbit lyrics and uh, doves land on him and stuff. You know, he wears his his low rise uh, jeans. It's he does his thing. Like he's yeah. he's the. Uh, He's like a Greek god of rock singers. I, I think we, we don't talk about them because there's just not a lot to say. There's not a lot left to say besides like, oh, that riff oh, the, kicks the ass. Guy, I saw them at 78 at the Palladium. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, it's just heavy, great music. It's like as much as I really don't care for Plant's affectations, you just if you got John Paul Jones and John Bonham, like I, I got to yeah. give it to you. Come on. Yeah, you can kind of do whatever you'd like. Uh, that. This is a song that I particularly think uh, lets uh, John Paul Jones shine. Uh, we're going to listen to what No Quarter. No Quarter. Oh, yeah. Houses of the Holy, I mean, 1973. Yeah. This one's a good one. I think you're going to say like in the evening or something. I was trying to guess what you were going to do. There's a lot of long Zeppelin intros. There are, yeah. And I don't know. I'm kind of, I can go either way on page sometimes. I know he was a, a studio wizard. When yeah, it's when it's too that. when it's too much of that, like just ripping off the blues, I get a little bored. But yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that the production of the drums is that's a lot of mm. that's him. Creamy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, our discussion about Rebel Rebel, there is some conflict. Oh. Uh, Alan Parker feels he played it. Bowie feels that he played it, oh. and there's also a conflict about who actually like fully wrote it. Oh. Um, so we're not. It's We're such so a Mick face. Ronson riff. I gotta. I want to say he had some hand in it. Something. Um, I would. You know, his playing obviously inspired what was in Bowie's head. That's a record that could have still been a Spiders from Mars record. There's no reason he had to do that on his own. Anyway, back to my topic. Uh, let's Sorry. listen to No Quarter. And uh, I think the I think we're seven and a half. <laughs> we're just gonna vibe here. I think you know. I, I don't think this is gonna be a hard sell. I, I seem to f- remember that this is like baked into the composition of it. Like this, this one doesn't necessarily feel uh, like an intro so much shit. as like it's part of the piece. All right, maybe I, I'm contradicting myself here. I still want to hear it, so let's just go ahead. Okay, yeah, whatever. It's great. What is he in the song? Remains the same. He's like a, a, w- a wizard, a jackalope. Well, I, I, can't, I forget his piece. No idea. Yeah, I might have broken my own rules here. He is kind of like playing the vocal melody. But. Are you vibing, bro? This is great. This is so good. That's where all the stoners exhale deeply. Yeah, man. It's heavy, man. Uh, this is just incredible. Yeah. It's, it's very good that the vocals don't come in sooner.
Yeah. So. I, no, I think I mean, that's I, how you I do even, it. That's that's amazing. I, I guess you could call that an intro. I feel like it's more just like, it's almost like an instrumental piece. Uh, at the top, I, it's it's so tightly constructed. It doesn't for me like when you're calling something an intro, it has to feel like a just a true vamp, not a composition. And like the money for nothing thing, I'm like that's just <laughs> they're just dicking around. Yeah, they're dicking around. It's cool, but they're dicking around. And, and similar in the, to the uh, Roxy Music track, where it's like, you know, they're 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 messing about. They're getting to the feel of it. This one feels like it's part of the construction of the tune. It's it's amazing though. I I have no problem with it. No quarter, more like no brainer. <laughs> oh God. Uh, do we have time for one more? Yeah, sure. All right. It's been a long time since I visited this tune. It's just, it's weird enough. Uh, it's notorious enough. I figure what the hell be good for, for an episode like today. Uh, Bad out of hell. <laughs> I'm not a big meatloaf guy, so I don't, I don't know. Is anybody our age? <laughs> I'm a huge meatloaf guy. Yeah. I mean, I really respect him because like, that sound is he's an anomaly nuts and like his acting and like he i really like him i mean he's, he's passed away now but I, I really like he seemed like a cool fellow you know and like not afraid to be goofy and all that stuff like he's just fun yeah he's pretty good in the fight club <laughs> oh god yeah I mean, he's willing to do that yes again you're from new jersey or no you're from queen long island yeah, come on man you're a queens long island yeah. hoboken guy Not in hoboken. you worked at a deli i feel like bad out of hell was yes. just playing in the background your whole life but um, yeah 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 bad out of hell uh, paradise by the dashboard yeah. light whatever that song that's the, that's the title right the one it's that's a long ass song i do not like that song and that, that's that's on classic rock radio and it's that's just, with like the baseball stops. part that that song fucking sucks uh, yeah. Let's uh, yeah. let's listen to Bad Out of Hell. Let me sleep on it. Yeah. Baby. That one's fucking stupid. Is this title <laughs> track, because of the way it builds up and how it introduces itself, does it get some sort of brownie points, some sort of award, or is it just as goofy as okay. the, We both don't like the Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Does this kind of. No, that song is like nine minutes. Does this long. like. Tra- does Bad Out of Hell, the title track itself, with the way it builds up does it transcend that is there something more to it here or is it just all kind of campy goofiness i guess is the question okay because it's the mother of all intros as far as i'm concerned <laughs> and it's like it's sustained i think this is like two minutes here of, of build up but let's check it out can't say i remember it no no this is stupid <laughs> That piano's killing me. Getting very hyped at this one. It's all right. Yeah, it's all right. I, I like this part a lot better than the first section. It's 
This is where you're starting. Yeah, that's cool. But I feel like you've contradicted yourself with this one. Even more so than the last one. <laughs> I'm twisting myself up in nuts. Yeah, because this feels like a piece. You know, like I don't, I don't hear people dicking around. Like it's, yeah. you know, there's improv on it, but it's like there are parts to it and there's like composition involved in the intro. Yeah, I guess you're right. I hadn't, I didn't screen it before I threw it up on here, but yeah, okay. It's making me think of, um, you know, this song, we talked about Elton John last week in a more inexplicable way but there's that song uh funeral for a friend love lies bleeding the opening track oh uh, yeah that's a sweet yeah, yeah yeah but there's that intro section where it's just like the whooshing and stuff yeah. like that but i think before the composition comes in like that's a cool love classic rock in my yeah 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 so it's like how much structure if you're gonna go long form if you're gonna put in an intro how much structure do you want to have in there? Can you get away with just just feeling out the vibes, letting all the little parts plinky plinky for a little while before you go right. before the drums come in? Or yeah, what do you do there? I guess that's the question uh, du jour. Right. If we're counting prog and if, if counting parts of the composition, then it's just roundabout. Yeah. Is is number one for mm. me? This is a, it's just a fantastic intro. Roundabout does have pretty sweet guitar there. Mm-hmm. Um, fair enough. Yeah. Well. Uh, that that's all I got. Maybe I contradicted myself. That's the risk you run. Yes, you know you you fly too close to the sun. Some, sometimes you try to get to greatness. It's just yeah, you're bound to those first two. I, I feel were definitely intros, and I love them equally the same. Mm. They're both great. But what did we learn today? I think one is Mark Boland's got some good shit oh, outside yeah. of Electric Warrior. Well, you knew that already. Uh, yes, I learned that. Yeah. I reinforced it for myself. I was I was going back through his catalog and just like, um, he's one of those artists that I listen to a lot in my teens and like I come back to every so often to like center myself musically. He's one of the, he's one of the artists that I come back to before I start recording again. Like, though I sound nothing like him. Like you know, there's there's probably six or seven artists that are like a, a compass because of my teenage years, and and he's one of them. Good shit. Well. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss a future episode. Leave us a rating or a review. We always want to hear your feedback. Help make this show better, uh, even though I don't know how else it could get better. Yeah, how's that possible? That's just one man's opinion. Uh, you can follow Losing My Opinion on Instagram, TikTok, or X. <laughs> and money for nothing. I think you could trim it a little bit. And I could be wrong now. But I don't think so. All right. So long, suckers. We'll see you soon. I'll be the right.